All right, Genesis chapter 3. So here we are in week 3, and as my thing for every single week, the room is completely changed up because it all harkens back to what we covered in that introduction. Week one, and if you weren't here for week one, or if you weren't here for last week, we do have our awesome recap board. We do have the podcast all posted up. The study sheets are over there, both for Sunday and Wednesday. So feel free and get your study sheets so you can follow along, because all of these messages flow out of what we discussed in week one. All of these relationships that we have, if we want to be able to approach them biblically, and yes, we are going to get to dating and all of those things in about two weeks' time, and that'll be the, the direction of the course of the rest of this class. But if we want to manage all relationships that we have in a biblical sense, in a biblical fashion, we need to be focused on changing. We need to be realizing, okay, God, I am imperfect. <laughs> I have flaws. Even though I have your spirit dwelling inside of me, I still have this fleshly carnal body. I still have this world system that is constantly pressuring me to conform to its will and what the world wants for me. And... I still have an enemy found in that roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour on a daily basis, trying to get me to stay the same, trying to get me to resurrect what the Bible calls that, that old man nature. It means your old sin nature, who you were before Christ. And every single day, all of those enemies are pressuring against you and pressing you to try to just stay the same, to just try to be who you are naturally. And the Bible says that every single day that you and I open up the pages of this book, we're looking into a glass darkly. We're looking into a mirror. And this mirror is to reflect back to us what God sees about us. And when He speaks to us about what He wants from us, it should require changes going on personally in our life. But if you're not spending time in the presence of God, if you're not spending time in in the pages of his presence, and if you're not willing to do what it is that this book says, you're not going to see any changes. And therefore, you're not going to be able to know how to biblically manage any relationship, whether it be with your parents, as we discussed last week, birth parents, adopted parents, step-parents, the whole gamut, or, as we're going to see today, siblings. Aww. Brothers and sisters. We have a ton of brothers and sisters, sibling relationships in this room. And so we have to at least discuss a little bit about this. And again, just like last week, the Bible is chock full of examples that we can go to to look at. What does it say? But um, I'm weird. And so I don't know if you guys got that or not, uh, but I don't like going to just the same basic examples that you guys all grew up with in study or in Sunday school study hall. I don't like going with the same basic examples. And so I come up with, or as God is leading me and as God's speaking to me, I see certain things. And I'm like, you know what? Let's look at things from a different perspective and let's see what God has to say about this. Some of these, yeah, will be familiar to you, but there's at least one on here I think, oh, unique. So chapter three, sibling rivalry. Look along at your introduction here. Much can also be said of the relationship between siblings, as I've already mentioned. And the Bible has no shortage of stories that we can look to for understanding. What is unfortunate is that many examples seem to center around conflict. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, this isn't me and my sibling. Well, good. Then let this be preventative when we look at it. But when it comes to this idea of conflict or sibling rivalry, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why is that? And how do we navigate around these scenarios? Because believe it or not, just as I mentioned from the intro, this whole concept of change and are you prepared to change? We don't like change, but it's necessary. It's a part of our daily life with Christ. Every single relationship that you have flows out of being time and being in the presence of God. It goes back to that most important relationship, that foundational relationship, your walk with Christ. And just like your parent relationships as we covered last week, the relationship you have with your parents, it's a good precursor for what things are going to be like when you do start dating. And believe it or not, this relationship is no different. So for those of you who are like, ah, oh, this whole parent stuff is so boring. All of this whole home stuff with my siblings, so boring. I just want to get to the nitty-gritties of the dating aspect. If you have ears to hear and you look at what we're going to look at today, I'm telling you, it'll feed right in to when we talk about dating and what to look for when it comes to that. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray. 
Uh, Father, um, I don't know what it is, but for the last couple of days, I've just not been uh, feeling well. I don't know if it's just exhaustion um, or if it's under the weather or, or what. I don't know, but I'm really kind of feeling it today. So I ask, uh, just as you did Wednesday night, uh, that you take me out of the way and that your spirit would just speak expressly to everyone in here. Um, this is your message, and I want to just get out of the way and let your word speak. Um, yeah, Lord, I again, an unusual message. Um, but for some reason, you laid it on my heart. And so I ask that for those who are in here, uh, that they would have ears to hear and that they would glean something from your word out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. So in order to look at sibling rivalry, rivalry, if I can speak with a cough drop in my mouth, we need to, in the first aspect of your study sheet here, we need to glean from the first family. And no, I'm not talking about the Biden family. Although, wow, you could really glean a lot from looking at the first family of the White House, yes. No. <laughs> uh, Hunter Biden, that's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> no, the first family talking about Adam and Eve and their two boys. And point one of your outline, we have to understand that since the beginning, Satan has always sought to destroy the family unit. That has been his goal ever since the onset. Genesis chapter 3, and I know I had you guys turn there, but it's okay. We're actually going to go to chapter 4, but you guys know the story of Genesis chapter 3. If there is a passage that you need to never get tired of, it doesn't matter how familiar you are with the passage. It doesn't matter how often you've read it. If there is a passage that you never need to get tired of, man, it is Genesis chapter 3. It's the, time, it's the first time certain, the, the Satan throws up in the entire Bible. It's the first time he speaks in the entire Bible. And what is he doing? As we talked about this past Wednesday night in our Q&A, he's attacking the woman. He's attacking the special creation from God for man, something that Satan never had, something that the angelic hosts never had. He's going after a special creation of God. Hey, if you're in here and you came to the point of decision where you realized your need for a Savior, you called upon Jesus Christ to save you, not trusting in your own good works, but trusting solely in the shed blood of Christ, you're a special creation. Bible says that you became a new creature in Christ. So if Satan attacked the first special creation in all the Bible... He's going to attack you through these very same means of getting you to doubt the Word of God, getting you to doubt the authority of the Word of God in your life. And He's going to try to take out your family as a result of that. And then, of course, as we know the story, Satan doubts the Word of God. She decides to listen and heed to the serpent's words, and they end up sinning. And they lose that image. They lose that perfect image of God. And then they start having kids. And now they reproduce and have kids in their own image. And here we come with Cain and Abel in chapter 4. But real quick, if you want to turn your heads to the left, or some of you guys turn completely around, John 8.44, this is a passage, I don't know if you ever really thought about it in this context, but it fits. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, Ye are of your father, who? And the lusts of your father ye will do. Now check this out. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a what? He speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now the second half of that verse can definitely apply to Genesis chapter 3 with what he did with Adam and Eve. And we even look at the first half of that verse and we're like, yep, definitely Cain and Abel. He was a murderer from the beginning. The first murder in the Bible happens in Genesis chapter 4. But you know what? I look at that verse and both of them really can apply to chapter 3. Because what did Satan set out to do? Kill the truth. To murder the truth. To murder any semblance of confidence that you have in your Bible. To kill that confidence you have in the Word of God in your life. He will do that. To get you to believe one of his lies. To kill your own walk. That's what he does. That's what he tries ever since the beginning, and that's why he went after the family unit. Point two, if he can't get to the parents, he'll go after the children. The best way to get to both is by causing division amongst the siblings. I have up on here on the screen again, Matthew 10, 21, and the brothers shall deliver up the brother to death. This is talking about the tribulation period. This is talking about a time that hasn't even happened yet. Brother shall deliver up the brother to death, 
and the father of the child, and the children shall rise up against the parents and cause them to be put to death. There's a lot of evil, wicked stuff that's going to come upon this planet that hasn't yet happened yet. Thankfully, we won't be here for it when it does happen. But man, you go through the entire Bible, things like that were happening. Ezekiel 38, 21, And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against who? His brother. His brother. Satan wants to try to divvy up your home, and if he can't get it through your parents, he's going to try doing it through you and your siblings. And point three, this often comes in the form of jealous anger. We're here in Genesis chapter 4, and you guys are familiar with the story. The two boys, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, they come before the Lord to bring their offering. And Abel brings an offering of a spotless lamb, sheds his blood, presents it over to Christ, to God himself, and says, here is my offering, and God accepts it. What does Cain bring to the table? Strawberries. A cornucopia basket. Fruit, vegetables, things that he did with his own hands, that he cultivated himself with his own good works, or getting a call, or Heather is. Decline. That's weird. I thought that was in uh, presentation mode. There we go. Okay. Interesting. That just threw me off. Where was I? Oh, works of his own hands. That's what Cain brings to the table. God accepted Abel's offering, but what did he do to Cain's? Rejected it. Because when we come to God and try to say, hey, here are my good works, can I get into heaven? He rejects that. It's only through the blood of a pure spotless lamb covering you that you can get in. Again, we know this. But think about this in light of biblical relations, especially that of your own household. Look what happens in verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, God. And Cain was very wroth. That word literally means jealous anger. He was jealous of what his brother had. He was jealous that his brother was chosen over him, that his offering was respected and not his. And as a result, his countenance fell. So God starts talking with them. What's going on here? And you know, it's funny, but in Genesis 37, verse 8, you could check it out later, there's another set of brothers who get very jealous and angry with one of their siblings. Who is it? Close. Joseph. Joseph's brothers who hated and were jealous at their brother. And they had such anger in their hearts as a result of that. Luke 15, 28. He was angry. Well, I should probably give you the context of this passage. This is the prodigal son. You guys know the story of that. Jesus telling a parable of a, a man who ran away and now he's come back to his father. And the one son, this guy's brother, the prodigal's brother, who always stayed, who never ran off, who always did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, who always obeyed, who was always at church on Sundays, who always at church on Wednesdays, he was ticked off. It says here, he was angry and would not go in. And therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered, said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Uh, you guys can read that and you're like, oh man, what a spoiled brat, thinking that it's all about him. But i got to be honest, it makes a pretty valid point. And really when I look at it, I don't see it as he's trying to get something out of his dad. I look at it as he's hurt. His heart is cut. These are real life issues that even some of you guys probably go through on a regular basis. Again, if not, praise the Lord, I'm happy for you. Let this be preventative. Because I'm telling you, if you have a really great, strong relationship with your sibling in here, protect it with everything you have. Because Satan's coming for that. He doesn't like that. You know, I uh, shared a little bit last week about uh, my personal life, uh, you know, with my parents getting divorced um, when I was 13 and, and just how everything kind of played out with me and, and my relationship with them last week. Again, podcast is online if, if you need it. Um, 
But, uh, you know, I think I kind of even mentioned with you guys too, or maybe I have before, I have a brother who's seven years older than me. And, uh, I mean, always was a star athlete. He was my role model that I looked up to. He was a three-year starter on the varsity team for Perry Baseball and uh, just had a cannon of an arm for a shortstop. And when he went off to college, got a full-ride scholarship to Walsh University playing baseball. And when he played freshman year, he had a few pro scouts that were looking at him. And then one season uh, ended up tearing his quad. I mean, completely tearing it, never healed, never repaired. Your dreams, your goals can go away just like that, by the way, because his did. So he ended up becoming, uh, going to law school. He transferred over to Akron Law and ended up going to law school and becoming a lawyer. He's actually a US attorney right now, so he handles all federal cases. Assistant US attorney. He's, he's working his way up there. Thanks, Andy. That's on podcast, by the way. <laughs> Anywho, um, so he's an older brother. He's seven years older than me. I don't know if any of you guys have a sibling with that many years of a gap difference, and maybe it's different for you guys, but uh, me and him were never really close. He loved me. He was always very, very close with me, um, but uh, you know, he was never really... Okay, sorry, Justin. Uh, he was never really... Um, you know, a close sibling like I have with Wyatt and Ryder in the way that they are. Um, it was kind of neat. Growing up, he would always kind of bring me along and, 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 you know, whenever it was the new movies or new music or whatever the case was, I was always further along than my friends because I had him as a cool older brother. Um, but when I started walking with God, as I had mentioned to you guys last year or last week, was it sophomore year of high school for me, um, our relationship changed drastically. Again, my mom saw that there was something different. Why is my son coming home at you know from school and spending from four o'clock to eight o'clock in his Bible every single night? And why is my son tithing? And so she would reach out to who? My older brother to come and have discussions with me. And uh, we would have some very heated three hour long discussions as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior in high school. And I'll tell you what, nothing will stretch your faith more like that than having an analytical debater like my brother, who looks at things in a very logical way and tries to trip you up with your own beliefs and try to get you to see, why is it you're doing that? You sure it's not because the church tells you to do that? And we'd have a lot of heated discussions to the point where, talking about this whole jealous anger thing, there was one moment where he asked me a question. He's like, and depending on your answer, I'm probably going to launch off and hit you. Keep in mind, he was in law school. And I was just a minor. And he says, like, do you honestly think that your mom, if she were to die, is going to go to hell? And I said, based upon what she had told me and based upon what the Word of God says, yes. And he stood up from his chair with his finch clenched. Or his finch, uh, what am I trying to say? Clenched. Thank you. I'm telling you guys, something's off. Finch. Clenched. Get it right. Wait for me on the hallway. You guys get it. <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying. But he stopped that moment and he turned and he walked out. That's been our relationship ever since then. He likes me. <laughs> so you think. That's been our relationship ever since then. Not really that close. And whenever we do get into anything, scriptural always goes into a big three hour long debate and we don't get anywhere. And it's funny, I talking about this whole idea of the things that you don't like in your parents, you got to glean in yourself because they might be in you. Same thing with your siblings. I can be a debater and I can beat my point to a specific moment where it wears out the other person until I get my way. Now, that could be a very good thing. As my wife always reminds me, it means that I don't back down from a fight and it means I know what I believe and I'm not going to back down from what I believe no matter what. And I learned that through that experience when I was in high school with my brother. But it can also mean that you hurt the ones you love the most. As I contend to do. Where I will go to a point because I think I'm right and I won't back down on it and it wears those around me down. So you got to watch that. That's my experience, having a jealous, angry brother, and I can be the same way too. And point four, 
Nothing will kill your relationship with your family and God quicker. Pun intended. Look at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? In a typical brother response, he said, I don't know, my, my brother's keeper. Nothing will kill your relationship with your family and God quicker than letting jealous anger consume you. Sorry to keep your guys' heads turning. There's a couple more of these slides. James 3, verses 14 and 16. If it hurts, just go ahead and listen. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, being envious, being jealous over what your brother has or, or what you don't have, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and what's that last one? Devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. If that's not a perfect depiction of what happened in Genesis chapter 4, I don't know what is. And again, we see that word confusion. We've been seeing that word confusion show up a lot on Wednesday nights. Remember, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God is not the author of confusion. So if you have a lot of things in your life where you're like, man, I'm just so confused by this. This doesn't make sense. You might want to evaluate if this verse is describing you with those situations and scenarios. Because it might be you have some kind of jealousy or envying or strife in your heart towards a brother. Now, again, as I mentioned, there's siblings in this room. And many of you guys, man, your, your siblings are saved people. It's not a situation like me. And some of you guys, you might have siblings that are lost. But hey, you have a good relationship. So again, as I've already stated, look to the rest of these examples as preventative, if that's you. And maybe you're an only child and you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to get anything out of this. Well, if you're an only child, do you have a close personal friend in this room or a close personal friend in your life who is like a sister or who is like a brother to you? I know some of you in here, you probably have disciplers who are like a big sister to you or a big brother to you. Then let this be an application to that. So other examples of sibling relationships, Jacob and Esau. Go ahead and turn over to Genesis 27. In point one, I have really the entire chapters and verses that the story of Jacob and Esau show up. Obviously, we're not going to cover each and every single one of those, so, but just in case you guys wanted to read them later, you could. Uh, but look with me, you know, in chapter 25, you know, what happens there? We get the introduction of Jacob and Esau, and we see right out of the womb, there is a sibling rivalry between these two, where the one comes out and the other one comes right behind him, holding on to his heel. And so we see this kind of rivalry, this kind of battle and contention that comes up. And we also see that there's a, a discrepancy, or not a discrepancy, but there's a, a differentiation between the two of them. Jacob is more of like, a, he's a plain man who dwelled in tents, it says. You know, he was very, very plain. He was kind of like the person who's like, wasn't the most athletic, didn't get involved in all the extracurricular activities, just kind of, you know, plain Jane, plain Jacob. There we go. Plain Jacob. Whereas his brother Esau was a hunter. He was a man of the field. He was always working out in the world. Whereas Jacob focused more on the inside. A little spiritual picture there. Let me go ahead and pick the sticker up for you, Andy. There you go. Oh, that's mine. Oh, sorry. And so 25 is where you have the chapter where Jacob tells Esau, Hey, you look very, very hungry, bro. I have some of this pottage made. Uh, why don't you go ahead and sell me your birthright and I can give you some. Satisfy your belly. And he kind of swindles him in this little deal and he gets Esau to give away his birthright to Jacob because he wanted to satisfy his tummy. He wanted to satisfy his flesh. And so as a result of that, he gave over to Jacob what was most precious to him, his birthright. His birthright, his right to reign to take over the family name. And here in chapter 27, we see another instance between these two brothers. Look with me in verse 35. And again, you guys know the story. 
Jacob swindles him. He deceives his father into thinking that he was Esau, and he steals the blessing away from Esau. Esau finally comes out in verse 35. He says, or Isaac says rather, that, yeah, he said, thy brother came with subtlety. Now when you think of that word subtlety, where does it jog your memory back to? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Wait a second. I thought Jacob was the guy who was more spiritual. He, he dwelt in plains and he dwelt in tents, focused more on the inside of things. And Esau was more the worldly man. Yeah. You know, whenever we look at types or pictures in the Bible, typologies eventually break down. Jacob might have been a guy who focused inside, but man, we're starting to see here just how deceitful he really truly was. He hath taken away thy blessing. Verse 36, and he said... And this is Esau saying, Is not he rightly named Jacob? He's going to tell you the name origin. He's going to tell you what Jacob means. For he hath supplanted me these two times. He swindled him. He's a deceiver. That's what the name Jacob, no offense to anyone in there that might be named that, that's what the name Jacob means. Supplanter, deceiver. That's what he did. He replaced him, swindled him. But you know what's interesting? And isn't this so true about sibling relationships too? There's truth to what he said. But if you go back and read chapter 25, as we just kind of reviewed, Jacob didn't really swindle him there. Esau saw it from his perspective. He swindled me these two times. Uh, not so, Esau. You were hungry, and you let your belly lead the way, and you gave over your birthright. But to a certain degree, yeah, Jacob was a little deceitful in the way that he did that. It wasn't really brotherly. But isn't that so much like sibling relationships? One brother, one sibling sees it one way, and then here's the truth somewhere in the middle. <laughs> but he supplanted him. He deceived him. He robbed him two times now. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? So what happens here for the next couple chapters? Esau is a man on fire. And he wants to take out his brother Jacob. Wants to kill him. But in that situation before? <laughs> we won't share any stories today just in case. Uh, might bring up some past hurt and feelings. Unless they're currently going on. So on your outline, first bullet point, you know what we find from this passage here? Jacob was known in his family for being a deceiver and a schemer with repeat offenses, and he hurt his brother. You might want to underline that phrase, repeat offenses, because I always think of Proverbs 17, verse 9, which says, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter, you know what he does? separateth very friends. Hey, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to hurt somebody in our lives to some degree or another. But if you make it right, and that person trusts you again and lets you back into their heart, you better do everything in your power to make sure that you don't repeat that matter again, that you don't make that same mistake twice. Because you might just kill that friendship seen that happen countless times innumerable amount of times that's when you know who your friends really are when they continue to repeat that same matter or when I repeat that matter you start to separate chief friends that's what happened here to Jacob and Esau so if you make a mistake own up to it but make sure you don't make it again man, all the hurt and the division, the split home. And not to mention, you can read on the rest of the story, uh, it even divided up the parents. One parent sided with one child, the other parent sided with the other child. And now the entire home's in disarray because of sibling rivalry. And you might want to make a note of this, and honestly, if you get nothing else out of today, especially in the midst of whatever the heck is going on with me right now, uh, if you get nothing else out of today, mark this down. 
because this is where this really feeds into what we're going to cover in the weeks to come with dating. How you are known at home offers insight to how you'll be in a relationship. How you are at home, or rather, how you are known at home offers insight to how you're going to be in a relationship. Because it's very easy to come here and put on your church face. You know how many times, have you guys ever heard the joke, or maybe you've been in the car when this has happened, of like, oh man, you could be driving on Strasser, and you have mom and dad in the front seat hollering at each other, or hollering in the back seat at the kids, getting so fired up about whatever happened that morning, and then as soon as you turn on the right clicker, and you make that turn right in FBCJ, smiles, hi, how you doing, God bless you, sit down, shut up! Except kids. <laughs> Why are you standing? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> that happens all the time. And maybe to a certain degree it might have even happened to you once or twice. Again, we won't ask for stories. But that's not how we are. How we are here is not how we really are. That's a goal, and you want to be as real and transparent as possible. And honestly, I mean, I don't want to say that as a definitive statement that how we are here isn't how we are, but I will say this. How you are at home, that's how you really are. And so how do your family members view you? What are things that they say to you? Because I'm telling you, they're the ones who are around you all the time. They're around you more than your friends are. They're around you more than your youth leaders are. That's the real you. They see things in your life that the rest of us don't. And I'm telling you, when you eventually get into a relationship with somebody, and you start dating that person and spending time with that person, even then, they're still not going to know the real you until you're married and you're living with them. That's when they get to see. That's when how you are at home now is how you're going to be then. So if you get nothing else out of today, you might want to mark that down. What are some things, whether it be this past week this past month, conversations you've had with your siblings or with your parents, what are things that they have said about you? How are you viewed from them? What are things they say that you need to work on? There might just be some validity and truth to it. And it might just be how you're going to be in a relationship. So in light of that, what needs to change? And are you prepared to change? Again, every single week, no one likes the room set up. Good. I hate the room set up. Good. But we need to change. We're talking about relationships here. Marriage relationship outside of your relationship with Christ it is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. You better be willing to change. You better be looking for areas to change. Jacob was known in his family as being a deceiver and a schemer, and he had repeat offenses to boot. What about you? Next point, in order for reconciliation to take place, change needed to occur with Jacob from the inside out. We won't take the time to go there because I've mentioned it before, but that's where Jacob wrestles with God. And God had to get to the point, he need, Jacob needed to be in the presence of God for that change to actually take place where God could touch his life, where God could touch him in a way that would forever change him, would change his walk when he touched the hollow of his hip and he realized, I'm a deceiver. I've been playing this game all my life. Something's got to give. Something needs to change. And that's exactly what he did when he was in the presence of God and he had a walk that was different from that point forward. Physically, and spiritually. But he needed to be in the presence of God in order for that to take place. And then the third pulling point, the wrong sibling Esau. Well, you know what? Before we read this, turn over to chapter 33. I do want you to see this. 
soon as Jacob has that life-changing experience, as soon as Jacob is in the presence of God and God changes him, he comes before his brother, his brother who breathed out threatenings and slaughter, just like Saul, and wanted to kill him. Look with me in verse 4. Jacob finally goes to see Esau, and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Jump down to verse 8. And he, Esau, said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? If you look at the previous chapters, Jacob basically bribed him. He gave him like all, of these, all this cattle and all this money to, for him to try to you know, win him over, try to smooth things over. And that's what he said. What's this drove? And he said, These are to find grace in thy sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Oh, I love that. Again, you know what's funny? Esau... Again, this is where typologies break down. Esau is a picture of the world, and you, all you have to do is just look at his offspring. He created the Edomites, who were enemies of Israel. So they were wicked people, and they really harmed Israel going forward in the future, and that's where that plays into Romans chapter 9 that we talked about months ago, not to go down that rabbit trail. But uh, here we have Esau, the man himself. Man, even though he's a worldly type of a, a Christian, a worldly Christian, he did the right thing here by embracing his brother. See, third bullet point, the wrong sibling wanted nothing in the way of gifts. He simply wanted the fellowship with his brother restored. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Hey, if stuff's going on between you and your brothers, or you and your sisters, someone has to take the bigger step forward and say, Hey, you know what? Let's talk this out. And it typically just falls to the older sibling. You know what? I'm the older sibling. The pattern of God is the older looks after the younger. I got to make the first step right. And I got to make sure that this is right. Esau was the older brother. Had to make things right. And then Philippians 2. Why? What's the end goal? What's the mission? We can't lose sight of the mission. Verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit. If any bowels of mercies, what is Paul wanting here? He says in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife, envy, jealous anger, or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. It doesn't matter if it's a sibling rivalry, or even your brothers and sisters in Christ, which is another application you could take with this whole entire series today, we can't lose sight of the mission. You can't lose sight of the bigger picture no matter what the squabble is in your own home. The bigger picture is we are here to give God glory on this planet. We give Him glory by bearing much fruit in John 15, 8, by seeing many people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and then training them up so that they can go out and do the exact same thing. That is the entire goal of why you guys meet here on Sundays and Wednesdays. So you can get trained up in the Word of God so that we can then, as your leaders, send you back out to your schools to be lights in those dark places to see the lost saved and the saved grow to disciple. That's the mission. We have to consider everything in light of the bigger picture. If there's a squabble between you and your own home, if there's a squabble here, it needs to be sorted out for the sake of the cause, for the sake of the mission. That's the bigger picture here. We can't lose sight of that. Man, Jacob was stuck. He couldn't proceed further in his mission until the, raw, or until the relationship was righted. Can learn a lot from Jacob and Esau and their sibling rivalry together. Next, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Yes, we all remember that, that luscious story from Sunday school. No, this is one of the, like I said, I'm weird. I see weird examples in the Bible and I want to go to them. So 2 Samuel chapter 2, make this quick. Famous last words. Put that on my tombstone. <laughs> I didn't say a word. Second Samuel chapter two, verse twelve. So, long story short, again, uh, Saul is dead. 
Saul and Jonathan die. It's time to make David king in Israel. But there are some in Israel who don't want David to be king. There are some in Israel who are like, no, uh, one of Saul's sons has the right to the throne. And so there's this little fight that goes on here. And we see in verse 12, Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. So these are the guys that want to set up Ishbosheth as the next king. And Joab, who's one of the mighty men of valor next to David, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon with these other guys. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So we're having to sit down between the two armies. And Abner, verse 14, said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. That might be the coolest fight words I've ever seen in the entire Bible. Hey, want to rumble? Let's let the boys play it out. Love it. Yes, let's fight. Let's throw it down. But that's what happens. That's what Joab decides to do. Look in, uh, where are we at? All right, so that's verse 14. Jump down to verse 16. And they caught everyone his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Wherefore, the place was called Helkath Hazirim, which is in Gibeon. So there's this big fight that breaks out. And Joab is part and parcel responsible for this. Now, we're going somewhere with this. The first bullet point you want to pay, pay attention to is that sometimes siblings can make decisions that have horrible impacts upon themselves and the rest of the family. Case in point, another example of two brothers in the Bible, and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, these are Moses' nephews, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, Nadab and Abihu were the Levitical priests. They were the ones that were holy unto God. Oh, and by the way, Revelation 1 verse 5 says that you and I are New Testament priests. This is talking to us here. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Verse 12 says, Moses spake unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons that were left. So Nadab and Abihu were the ones that rebelled against God. They offered strange fire in the temple, or in the, the tabernacle, and they get consumed with fire. And here are the sons that are left. Moses says, Take the meat offering that remaineth of the offerings of the Lord made by fire and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. And if memory serves me correctly, I just read the story last night, but I think they were also the ones that were responsible. It had to go down and, and get their brothers, their burnt, piled to a crisp ashes, and they had to get them out of there. Point I'm making with this is that Eleazar and Ithamar, they were the two brothers that they weren't supposed to be the priests yet. That was Nadab and Abihu. But because of Nadab and Abihu's sins, now it fell upon these two guys, probably before they were ready. Now, is God going to take care of them? Absolutely, and He did. But man, can you imagine if you were thrown in that situation? Imagine if something happened to your family, where then you had to step up and be the lead. I've seen it happen before, and it's unfortunate. Sometimes siblings make these decisions, and it has horrible impacts on the rest of us. And look at verse 18, 2 Samuel 2. And there were three sons of Zariah there. Joab, which was the guy who was kind of leading this charge on David's behest. Now we see Joab has two other brothers, Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as, was as light of foot as a wild roe. He was like a wild deer. And he was light, which means he was quick. But he was also very, very wild. He wasn't controlled. He wasn't temperate. In verse 19, Asahel pursued after Abner, the enemy, and in going he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Now, when you trace that phrase throughout the Bible, turn not to the right hand or to the left, it's basically saying, hey, when you make a commitment to the Lord, when you commit your life to the Lord, don't look over here, don't look over here. In other words, stay on the path. Don't veer off the path. It's usually a phrase that means a good thing. But here... As we'll soon see, you could basically say that he was determined to a fault. He was determined. He was on point. He saw his enemy in his sight, and he was going after him. Good determination, but sometimes people can be determined to a fault. This is one of Joab's brothers. 
And then Abner says, man, you better turn aside. Stop following me. But the end of verse 21, Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again, turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab, thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner, with the hinder end of the spear, smote him under the fifth rib. What's the number five mean in the Bible again? Yeah. Yep. And then the spear came out from behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. Man. Joab also and Abishai, his two brothers, pursued after Abner, and the sun went down, and they were come to the hill of Amma, which lieth before Gia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. So basically, the two brothers are seeking revenge now because they're determined to a fault, wild as a roe brother, Asahel. He pursued his enemy. He was determined to a fault. And now the brothers are going after him. And eventually the story goes out where Abner's like, hey guys, look, how much more bloodshed do we want to do? And they were like, yeah, you know what? Let's call a truce. So second point, your reaction can have just as much of a detriment upon the relationship. Yeah. Your siblings might make a, a horrible decision, but what reaction are you going to have? Joab was this, the brother who decided to have this big fight go on. He made this horrible decision. Instead of just trusting the Lord, instead of maybe having a discussion, instead of not entertaining Abner and going and fighting here, Joab's decision to have all of the men fight led to the death of his own brother. Because his own brother reacted in a way that brought a detriment upon the entire relationship of the other brothers. You know what Asahel was? The wild roe, determined to a fault, Proverbs 14, 29. He was not slow to wrath. The Bible says, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. You want to be very, very cautious with the decisions you make especially when it pertains to those of your own household. You want to be very, very careful the way you speak to your brothers or your sisters in your house because the consequences might be a detriment to the entire relationship and then the mission stops. We can't lose sight of the bigger picture. Last point. Your decision is either to continue the vicious cycle or be preventative and take a vested interest in your siblings' lives. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were to read the rest of the story in chapter 3, uh, David basically says, hey, look, we have this truce with Abner. We're not going to have any more bloodshed. And you know what Joab, a big brother, does? Takes Abner aside, him and Abishai, and they do to him what he did to their younger brother. Kills him. You know what David said? Joab's one of the mighty men of valor. Joab was a tough man. Godly man. David says, your entire family and your entire lineage as a result of this is going to suffer because of your consequences, because of your actions. Your entire family is going to suffer for this. He just continued the vicious cycle of his wild roe brother, his determined to a fault brother, Asahel. He just continued the vicious cycle. And I said, be preventative. Take a vested interest in your sibling's life. You notice how none of his brothers tried to stop Asahel? The very guy that Asahel was chasing after, Abner, even he tried to tell him, dude, stop, you better turn to the side, otherwise I'm going to have to retaliate. I'm going to have to defend myself. Where were his brothers? Where was Joab? Where was Abishai? Why didn't they stop Asahel from going after that? Because they probably weren't around. They probably weren't invested in him. He was a wild roe. He was light. He was quick. He was hasty. You think that couldn't have been prevented? Especially in teen years. Siblings want to start to kind of veer off and do their own thing. And when you veer off and do your own thing, that's when incidences like this happen. You guys are brothers or sisters or stepbrothers or stepsisters for a reason. God put you in the family that He put you in for a reason. 
yeah, it's uncomfortable having these conversations. And yeah, again, like I told you guys, after what my high school experience was like, I wanted to be very, very internal and I wanted to just kind of keep things to myself, except for my brothers and sisters that were in youth ministry. They became my family when I uh, was kind of seeing my family relationships within my own home strained. Um, but I'm telling you guys, take a vested interest in what your sibling does and share with them what you're into. Share with them your struggles. Ask them to pray for you. Hey, the things that you might be nervous or scared to throw out in the group meet that you need prayer for, who better to ask than the people of your own home? Especially if they're within this very room here. And they can understand because they're not that far off in age as you. Because I'm telling you, the relationships you have with those of your own home will follow you into whoever it is you start dating and whoever it is you start looking to marry. It'll follow through. You can check out these last two passages later, but it's, it's James and John. What a great example of two brothers who were invested. They did everything together. They were called the sons of thunder together. It means that they were close. It means that they were known as being that. They had a like-mindedness about each other. And uh, the other passage just talks about how they worked together. They mended nets with their dad. They actually worked with Peter. They mended nets together. They were very, very close. They didn't try to do all their own thing. No, they worked together. doesn't get much more vested in, in, in together than that. So I had those two guys as a cross-reference uh, to contrast these three guys. So be like them. Be sons of thunder. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's pray.